0: Pastor, do you have time to read everything? Church leader, do you have the uh, capacity to take ideas written in a particular discipline and translate them into your understanding of church life and leadership and understanding of the scriptures? If you can, you're rare. So we tend to rely on others who um, read for us. When we trust those who read for us, we are giving them the authority on a subject over us. What happens when we discover that maybe those who have been given our trust— Haven't really read the right material to even talk about or describe the ideas that they impugn and promote fear of. Hello, this is Todd Wilson with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. We're a podcast that explores the intersection of life, faith, and thinking theologically. Or in those old seminary days, we refer to it as theological reflection. Today on the podcast, I am I'm excited to have a guest I've queried for. I'm not sure it hadn't been a year. I have to go back and look. Hoping and hoping against hope some days that I could get Bradley Mason on to talk about a subject that's been important to him, but more than that, a practice whereby uh, Christians have, in my my well, since my growing up days have have uh, struck fear in the hearts of parishioners and 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 other pastors and ministers and denominational entities, maybe I, I just don't know what for. And then you find out that there are all sorts of misrepresentations, not really dealing honestly with the subject. And then maybe you even find out that there are some few. Uh, ideas that are really actually helpful in either ministry or hermeneutics or scriptural interpretation or interpretation of the wider culture so that we can really look at the intersection of life and faith in the day in which we live. So I uh, am am glad that that finally to have uh, an opportunity to talk with um, also a carpenter, that's his handle on Twitter. Uh, And it's got to be the best handle ever, by the way. And I think that uh, we're going to end up with a a series of conversations because we really didn't get to the nuts and bolts of of what Bradley wanted to talk about. But this is our introduction, our introduction to, well, more than anything, how to be honest about what we say we're representing. Here's my conversation with Bradley Mason, and I'll have a note for you on the other side.
1: In general, I mean, on this topic, I imagine topic is critical race theory, things related to critical race Mm -hmm, theory. mm -hmm. So something that obviously I was thinking about today, pondering is the whole D'Angelo discussion. Robin D'Angelo, I I don't know if you've seen a lot of this. this is something that I think has become like a, a pretty steep barrier to entry, even into the discussion because you immediately walk into a minefield of what all the opposition thinks is the actual theory and the story. And you can't even get to like a real discussion when you have that minefield in the way. So I know a lot of it seems like, okay, you have people that, okay, so a lot of people read, say, cynical theories, right? Mm -hmm. Or they go to the New Discourses website. Mm -hmm. Now, people have shown that, that book and that website is almost entirely built from Robin DeAngelo like the citations from her work far outweigh any CRT scholar at mm-hmm. all like not even close
2: right
1: um, in all of that work so and then from there it makes it into people's you know ministries through those books then they go and they read maybe white fragility Maybe they read a little Kendi and now they've got critical race theory, right? So, so then a lot of us would like to push back a little and, and against that and not to say for me, at least I can speak for myself is I don't have a problem with, with Robin DiAngelo or Kendi. Mm-hmm. I think they both, you know, I don't have to agree with everything either one of them says right. at any time. And, and from what I can see, you know they make a lot of good points. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, wouldn't say any of this as an attack on either of their work. Right. I just don't at all consider them representative of critical race theory, like at all. Um, when, it, when you first start reading it, you read maybe an introductory work like Delgado's. There's gonna be any mention of Robin DiAngelo in there or any of her work, even in the revised editions, there's no readings added in. You're not gonna come across it. You get the the, uh, popular critical race theory reader, I think edited by Crenshaw, Matsuda, the whole group. Um, Key writings that formed a movement, Mm -hmm. right? Obviously, you read through all that, you got a pretty good idea of what critical race theory is, and you you didn't need D'Angelo. But then you can move on, like the cutting edge series by D'Angelo, those readers, there's no no D'Angelo in there, there's no... Kendi in there, obviously. I've never seen a critical race theory reader that includes either one of their work. They're not publishing in any law journals that I know of, never seen them in the Harvard Law Review or anything. I, it's something you would never even come across unless someone gave you the one book, uh, White Fragility. And then when you read White Fragil- Fragility, you can see clearly that she has her own distinct definitions, her own distinct approach, something that I'm not finding in the rest of the literature. And and, I mean, even further, when you directly talk to critical race theorists, people working in the field at Kimberly Crenshaw, to them, they're like, why does everybody just read, you know, Robin D'Angelo and and Ibram Kendi? Like, it's weird to even people working in the field, like how, how did that become, you know, the, the go-to source to talk about critical race theory. So, and I bring all that up and may sound like nitpicking, but it's like, I keep getting hammered over this issue because they say, no, I don't think she's a critical race theory scholar. And I say that because she's not, she's not actually working on the basis of the theory or details of the theory. She's not publishing directly on the topic. She's not contained in any of the journals they are discussing it, she's not in any of the readers that are discussing it, no critical race theorists refer to her, cite her, discuss her, or even suggest her. And then that puts her even at a much further distance from being representative of critical race theory. So that's not even close in my opinion. Now, Kendi, I, that one, I, I, don't, I don't know why people go after him so viciously. It seems like people are going after him even more now that Tisby's gone to work with him. So now they really have to demonize Candy to get at Tisby, or I I don't know. But he's a historian, number one. He wrote a history book that's pretty great. Then he wrote a book entirely built on his own definitions of racism. Interesting definitions, worth discussing, but certainly not a critical race theory text. So I, I wish there was some way to clear a lot of that away and discuss, you know, the actual topic, like what the ideas are. So many times over and over, you read in Words That Wound, A couple pages in there, there's like 10 points. They say, well, what are the basic tenets of critical race theory? The scholars themselves. And then they tell you what those tenets are. And that appears in multiple places. It seems to me like that would be the starting point. If we're gonna search for the heresy, let's find it there, right? Mm-hmm. Not in some popular level extraneous model of critical race theory that none of the people from within the field refer you to i mean that seems like an obvious start to me
0: so there you have it folks that is our introduction to a conversation with bradley mason and if you haven't figured out by now that there's a sincere interest to really deal with the issues and peel away at the stuff that gets added to it well then you need to go back and listen to that intro again because What we really are dealing with, at least pastors and church leaders, is the tendency that we have to uh, grab onto what happens to be in uh, uh, popular discourse, and which is fine, but it doesn't necessarily get us to the point of the issues that are causing all manner of consternation and conflict and, well, in that last line, heresy hunting. So, Bradley, glad you're on the podcast today.
1: I'm glad to be here.
0: (laughs) So, you know, um, I think that uh, uh, that that introduction is is a good place to uh, jump off, because the truth of the matter is, is you have become such a figure in certain segments of the Twitterverse um, and probably, you know, whatever other social media you're on. That's just where I happen to pay attention to you most Right. Um, that there, there's always this driving to answer this particular question nobody seems to be asking what is it mm-hmm. and and i and what's the ir- irony is that anyone who's gone to college pastors who've gone on say to work on masters or phd level stuff they ask those questions all the time of the text right what yeah. is it yeah. And, and whenever we hear a popular idea, so when, for instance, evangelicals discovered uh, N.T. Wright, there was right. there were some who took some popular statements he made and all of a sudden saddled him with a range of uh, perspectives. You either hated him or you loved him. He became a Rorschach test for your vision of the New Testament and how, I've, I had friends who were, were in the PCA at the time, and boy, the, 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 the conflicts erupted. And now here right. we are at a particular, a particular cultural moment where race is obviously an issue to be re- wrestled with. And it would seem that the very people who want to get at what something is would be those who are trained to, to ask those questions of the sacred text. What is it? Right. So your frustration, which I think I can call it that a little bit. Yeah. Is certainly. is is a is a given that as a, a Christian, as a, a I assume at some points along the way, been a leader in a local church congregation, leading your family, there there these things are important that we get these things right so that we don't misrepresent others.
1: I fair? agree. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, certainly. And then I know that the common response that I get is that, well, that's you know going to the deeper academic. Nobody sees that. We're talking popular, you know, what what most people understand, which to me is a weird move. Um, I'd say for two reasons. Like, if uh, allow us to do that with Calvinism or something to them. Oh, Calvinism. Oh, that's that theory where God made a bunch of people because he wanted to torture them in hell for eternity. Um, You know, how many caricatures could you easily come up with? And then most people think that about Calvinism, who aren't Christians. So, ergo, when I say that's Calvinism, don't correct me, right? Right. Right. Because that's what non-Christians understand it to be. Right. So that's what it's going to be. And then second, pointing over and over to to the ethnic studies literature, like in California, that's a big one and just find a phrase oh go crazy that's clearly critical race theory and then of course then there's people who spend time and they read the whole thing and then they read where that source is from and then they try to determine what their background is is it critical race or not most time it's not you know ethnic studies is a different thing has been around a lot longer than critical race theory yes there's contacts contacts doesn't mean everything the same and then they also go through, I mean, how many times have you seen a phrase pulled out that turns out was from an old edition that everyone said, oh, that was poorly stated and it's gone. I mean, so it seems to me that, that you have the two prongs in that popular level argument problem. And, and, and one would just be that we don't treat anything else like that. We just don't, how I mean, how many Roman Catholics they say they believe in transubstantiation. you say, oh, that's where Jesus is in your stomach when you're, you know, going through your bowels, right? Isn't that what it is? Well, that's what most people think it is. So that's that's how right. we're gonna discuss it, and that's right. how we're gonna define it. And, right. and you know you need to defend that position if you want to keep it. That's absurd. Right. And then once again, then polling from popular level controversies, like the ethnic studies programs, and just spending no time at all trying to determine whether it has anything to do with critical race theory whether it's even saying what you I mean we know we can do this with any book on the bookshelf I can find that phrase pull it out of context and we could all get our hair on fire instantly over that phrase so if you're referring to frustration those are a couple of the frustrations I'd see. Yeah, yeah. Because so, uh, now I'm, I'm not talking about let's all become scholars of this theory, but how true. about let's not talk about it unless we want to know what it is first?
0: <laughs> Maybe just that. Uh, that's exactly right. And I and I think that, I think really that the, um, uh, it, it never works until you find that subject that someone, you know, flips it around and goes, Oh, I see what I've been doing there. And so, so, okay. ter- so like, for instance, you said, so we could talk about Calvinism. Well, you know, you could talk, you, you could take a view of the scriptures for instance. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've, I've got, I've got a, a friend who, you know, got his master's in, in theology and was for a time involved in church leadership and now has left the building and, he has he has some a critical eye in that direction. And, and I want to say to him from time to time when I see a, a, a tweet or a Facebook post, we we'll go, hey, you know better than that. You right. know, you're, you're, you're promoting a caricature you know better than that. Right. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, if if there were a way to unearth a common, a very closely held, emotionally tied subject that someone came along and was doing to them then it might help them to see. Otherwise, I think because we've spent all of our time trying to protect a version of our particular theology, we have entrenched to the degree that we can't see over the walls we built. Right, yeah. And, and I see that happening in the attempted conversations right. uh, over insisting like, well, let's talk about these uh, points at which the real uh, issues are lined out, not someone who's interpreting those issues through what their um, aim is. So I think, what is it, uh, um, if I remember correctly, uh, D'Angelo is a sensitivity training uh, yeah. coach or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. Well, you're naturally going inter- to interpret the data, the material, because you've been given a job. Uh, help people be more sensitive about the the people they work with. Yeah. So you're going to, you know, you're going to draw out whatever's going to be helpful for that to call someone a scholar of that subject. You you made the point about Kendi and, and uh, I, you know, I was on with Carl uh, Rashke earlier, we talked about, and, and the one thing he said when I said, okay, so where does someone start if they wanted to? He said, well, don't start with D'Angelo, start with Kendi. <laughs> And he said, he, he said, the reason he said that is, he said, because the same reason you did, she's not a scholar. And yeah. that's not, that's not really a, an, an academic area expertise. And, right. and, and whereas he pointed to Kendi was he at least pointed to someone who had a connection um, racially and socially, who taught history, and was at least had some frame of reference that you could, you, you could look to and and have a greater sense of, okay, probably has wrestled with some of those ideas, even if he's interpreted them and applied his own definitions.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: I agree. And I mean,
1: that's why I would say I do like his work quite a bit, personally, I'm willing to defend a lot. I mean, I'm willing to discuss his definitions, I I think they're pretty helpful for what they're for. They're just different. There's something something different. I mean, there are all kinds of race scholars that approach the subject differently. Um, and I'd say that he's, you know, he's one of the better of them doing what he does in particular, but right. as a representative or an example, yeah, not not the right.
2: first. Yeah.
0: And I, th- and I think that really is the thing that you've brought to the table in trying to find an angle to push back against a... Um, a uh, what really has, I think, come to dominate public discourse is we're going to find the most populist rendition of you pick the subject. And right. it's easier to deal with. It's 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 simpler. Um, it, it, I can more pragmatically refute uh, the simple and and I, and and the the danger in that is, is. There's a failure to learn from the very thing you're criticizing, because if you if your initial aim is to figure out that's the worst thing that's gone on in my lifetime. The pastor in uh, Denton, Texas, oh, yeah. uh, is, is, is to say, wait a minute, that's like, how, how's that possible? Uh, because if you look back over the last, well, um, at least 20 years. Anyone who tried to introduce any valuable uh, contribution post-structural thought could bring to an understanding of cultural movements just completely went nuts and said, "You know, this is going to lead to all kinds of horrible right. things." And had we paid attention twenty years ago, we might not have been com- we might not have been committing the very things that we were afraid of. Right. Certainly. So, so now we're at another crossroads with another subject. And this time, this time, we're not talking about, um, am I giving up my modern sensibilities for something else? We're talking about relationships among people that have been structurally formed, systemically uh, propagated, mm-hmm. and that actually has a, an a, a, an interest in addressing how we approach others for their good.
1: Right. Yeah. And then part of that has been lost, you know, immediately in this discussion is, is the, I mean, I know I've written some things recently, just discussing from uh, Robert Williams scholar, uh, native American scholar who is pointing out over and over that we're, like so much of his colleagues in that time especially from critical legal studies which is kind of where critical race theory was born out of mm-hmm. is they're having just an entirely western white male eurocentric debate these are just ideas mm-hmm. right it's not something that their skin was ever risked over right. you know none of their family died in the process of fighting for this it's a totally different discussion it's a, yeah. it's like it's like when you read uh, "Mapping the Margins" by Crenshaw, right? I'll hear one person come away from it, and it's like, "Oh, that's Foucault," and and it's about power structures. And then you could you just dive off into his, you know, ethics and philosophy, right? And then to me, it's like she may have utilized some of those ideas, but wasn't it clearly about like about protecting women from exploitation, specifically black women and how Title VII relates to that. And then um, how uh, violence is against them is interpreted. Like, this seems a little more brass tacks, like, mm-hmm. you know, discussion than Foucault. Like, who cares? You know, let's eliminate him, him from the discussion. That's not what this is about. And it seems like most of the debates are like that. You, you read a review of like a whole book. Somebody reads a whole book and they come away with a review and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and it's like you you weren't even reading it how it was intended to be read on the subject that it was supposed to be about like and and then and then that really begins to bother me because then how many secular authors appear to actually care about the well-being of others and then christian authors attack that to destroy it for theoretical reasons related to European philosophers that they don't like, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know, I think that's the correct approach.
0: <laughs> no, and, and I think, and that's the thing that I think when, you know, when I've observed kind of the back and forth and the pushback uh, is is that it, it would seem to me that any any analysis, any, and maybe I'm just, you know, too far off the right margin, but any analysis that helps us uh, in assessing things we can't see, we've never seen, we don't understand the things that are actually in our subconscious unconscious that literally stand in the way of us working together for the good of others who are different than us right. uh, is ought to be welcomed instead of immediately repelled and said, oh, that's Marxism. You know, that that, which that's laughable in on its face anyway, but but it's it's that's the part, really, that aside from um, the layer that says, let's really know what we're talking about. It's that you just raised the point you would think that, that that Christian representatives. Would view that as a literally a means to a- access a group of people they would never get to talk to about the faith. One would
1: think, <laughs> yeah, I think that's the whole urban apologetics concept right there from yeah. Dr. Eric Mason. I mean, that's yes, that's the point, yeah, yeah.
0: So, so, so that's where the that 10, 20 years down the road, someone is going to take this you know, this small sliver of time, and is really going to come back and say, like, see, this is how not to do this.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I think that that is not entirely due to, um, how should I say it nicely? Um, not being delicate enough in an intellectual approach to the subject. I mm-hmm. think that, that that's worse than that Mm -hmm. it's more sinister than that Mm -hmm. a little darker than that would be my opinion of why it's approached that way um probably the kindest way i can express what's going on is that we there is a traditional american extra-biblical social philosophy of liberalism Mm -hmm. and i don't mean like how you know uh, rush limbaugh uses the term but right the classical sense of the term liberalism right. this is a historically contingent developed human developed social philosophy on how to approach all the issues that we you know want to talk about and We've seen what it's produced, we've seen what it's protected, there are problems. It needs to be called into question. So I think what's happening is that when a subject like critical race theory and not critical race theory, which I can mention in a minute, but just critical race theory, take it for example, seems to throw those problems into relief. And then it's questioning what I think for many is their fundamental social philosophy. It, it's not necessarily Christianity. I mean, doesn't mean they're not Christians, no, no but you, you develop a, a way of being in the world, politically, philosophically, you have to explain things. You know your neighborhood's different than that neighborhood. You have an explanation and you didn't find it in Matthew or James or any You, you have received a social philosophy from your own socialization, uh, ways of interpreting those things, ways of interpreting the data, ways of explaining, ways to justify things. I mean, most obvious ways to justify why I'm in a beautiful house and other people aren't, right? Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And how, how right. dear is it to me to be able to say, oh, I worked harder and I was smarter and yada, yada, yada. They're, so I think that these ideas like critical race theory call all of that into question. That's the most shocking, the most troubling, the most angering, I gotta fight for that. And, and I'm gonna use whatever language I need. I'll try out saying it's Marxism, I'll, or I'll go to Thomas Sowell, an atheist, or, you know, James Lindsay, an atheist, or I'll go to um, uh, some Bible verses that I'll try to try to make them fit. Like, there's no forgiveness in critical race theory. Like, what are you even talking about? Like, that's not even part of it. I don't even, how do you respond to that? It's, I haven't read that journal entry yet on how, how you forgive or like, forgive away, I'm sure they're happy for forgiveness. It's just, that's not gonna change the legal system. You know, you like, I, I don't understand that. So I think that so many of the arguments we have are just reachable, um, they're, uh, they're public coin, let's say, mm-hmm. right, for debate. Mm-hmm. They're just out there, sitting out there, ready to be played. And, and so what's being attacked is not their Christianity. It's not their faith. Right? It's their own extra biblical social philosophy that, that helps them walk around and explain the world, in my opinion. So that's where the real clash comes. That's where the real problem. And then that's also though, why you don't end up having a conversation about it. You know? Mm-hmm. So when you hear, you hear someone say like, uh, critical race theory is racist, right? Okay, well, what do you mean it's racist? Like it wants to keep who down or right. what, which race? Right. Well, I don't. I don't mean that. It wants. It's it's bringing back basically Jim Crow, but in reverse. It's um, it's Plessy v. Ferguson decision all over again. You can. Oh, so what you mean is that it's race conscience, conscious. It doesn't want to pretend to be colorblind, right? So really, the problem is race consciousness. Now, now is this something new? Did critical race theory come up with it? I mean, have we not read Martin Luther King Jr.? We we haven't read. We haven't read uh, Stokely Carmichael. We haven't read Du Bois. We haven't read Frederick Douglass all the way back to, to Walker's appeal. Like they're all racist then too, I guess. Or is it that racism happens at a group level, right? So you can't just address it as an individual level. And in order to address an injustice that happens to groups you have to talk about groups and recognize groups and seek justice for groups, right? That is not racism. But that does not fit with white liberalism, mm-hmm. the social philosophy. The Bible doesn't contradict anything I just said. Mm-mm. Not
0: at all. Nowhere. No. Yeah.
1: But Western traditional liberalism, which we all know was, you know, born out of colonialism and mm-hmm. all of its trappings, mm-hmm. and is by and large a justification for what we have is ours and we should have it. Mm-hmm. That's what it exists for. So anything that's going to go to loggerheads against that idea is going to be blasphemy of a higher order than saying the Son is eternally subjected to the Father, right? Right. Because it hits harder than that. It oh, hits right. closer to home than that. Oh, right. Right. That's the problem, in my opinion.
0: Oh, I think I think you're absolutely right. I I, I think you know um, what's what's what gets puzzling is uh, uh, again that uh until there is a, a a deeply uh personal event that challenges what you're describing we are have no we don't have any interest in anything changing right and so only when we lose our house Only when we lose our job uh, and we're over fifty and nobody and everybody's practicing ageism and we're too old to be hired because, you know, we might retire sooner. Or you pick something. Right. Until there's an event that presents us with the loss of the thing we're trying to protect. We're we're firmly happy trying to keep protecting what we have.
1: Right. Yeah. And I agree. And then and then that includes you know our own identities yes it does you know not just our stuff but our our stuff and our identity i would sure
0: that's that's because we've wedded those two to such a level and degree that um would take us down a you know you know another um, rabbit trail in the sense that how, how we would have to we'd have to actually express how that gets exposed and how that's predicated on uh you know the way we've self-socialized to protect the status right. quo and anything that comes uh, to decenter us uh is is you know is, is anathema it, it, just leave it alone and and right. what's what's you know, what becomes problematic. And that's where I sent you, a, a, you know, kind of that email I sent. And, and I, I wanted to raise this for pastors because I, I, it's not an exact correlation, but it's kind of interesting that uh, someone will use the um, conclusions of sociological analysis to their benefit when it prospers them. Mm-hmm. but yeah. when someone's coming along to make a sociological analysis that challenges them then it, it, it's it's leave it alone so when church planting was in its infancy as, as far as here's how we're going to grow the faith we're going to mm-hmm. every denomination in the, that is is going to now have a church planting strategy church planting specialist when that began in its infancy um with talk of vision in the late 80s and early 90s they reached out to to uh, see well what what are what what's happening in the marketplace and so i learned demographics because i needed to know that where i'm going to my community i need to kind of know what are their buying habits what sort of movies do they like what kind of cars do they drive what kind of movies do they watch wow. so that i could tailor all of our communications such that they're attractive to that particular group right. interesting that's a that is a that is the benefit and the byproduct of psychographics and right. that way, then I know how to market to you, Bradley, so that, that maybe if I hit one of those, you like fast cars, we're going to have a car show at the church. You like John Wayne movies, we're going to, you, you pick it, uh, John was right. old for that. But anyway, the, uh, the, the idea is, is that church leadership pastors are trained to make use of those tools in an attempt to, you know, draw the crowd to, to, uh, have an audience to hear the gospels. Right. And, and then someone comes along to say, you know, there's some, there's some kind of analysis out there that, that, you know, says that maybe your, um, tendency to preach that it is really good that we are a law and order country was predicated on a, uh, re-enslavement of people of color for cheap labor in our prisons right oh did not possibly happen
2: right right
0: and, and so i'll take the one that fills my church right i'm going to ignore the one that might cost my church right huh. so in the group sense it's the same sort of thing see because if right. if if a, if a, if an injustice has to be addressed at group level And it's going to take a group also to be involved in making that uh, correction. Right. So churches that are thriving financially, who have all they need, they're not going to necessarily be their um, first choice to say, oh, uh, so we should own. 12 halfway houses, six six for men and six for women, so that as they emerge from these unjust uh, periods of incarceration, we can help them get their social security information. Uh, right. restored. We can help them get driver's license, pass GEDs, get them jobs and in, into homes. Right. No, I like my big screen in my church.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, that's interesting. I didn't know what you meant when you sent the email honestly. Yeah,
0: yeah, well I, it, 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 again it With was it was, I yeah. it, it was really a a way of trying to say that the the marvel I have sitting back watching some of this is that we we are happy to pick and choose the resources that help us be a prosperous congregation. Right. And ignore the analysis from the same sources. Because those who are producing psychographics in the late 80s, early 90s to to really head, you know, plunge us headlong into consumer capitalism or late stage mm-hmm. capitalism. Th- those were not Christian sources necessarily that were saying, let's see how we can uh, get people to forgive each other or how, you know, we were trying to figure out how do we get more butts in the seats. And that is the bottom line right. and we don't mind borrowing that information even Forever. to this day yeah but you let someone come along and take a look at laws yeah. that are unjust and say "Gally, i think it's gonna we're, we're gonna have to do something because like we're still suffering the consequences of post redlining even though maybe technically it's not we st- that's still happening we, you know yeah. those sorts of things that are really at the heart of what critical race theory was investigating when it was discovering these unjust laws mm-hmm. yeah so it to me yeah. it was a hypo- it, to me it's a little bit of a well it's not a little bit it's a hypocrisy
2: yeah i
1: think i think that's very true yeah so i would think of that like what you said is is very interesting you you use some like acronyms and such in your email yeah,
0: vows know, is okay, vows <laughs> is values attitudes and lifestyles Oh, okay. And, and so they had the first iteration, and they came back and they refined it in Avals Two, which was the second iteration. Which they came back and said, "Well, we can we can actually do better at identifying the demographics of this five square miles where you're going to plant this particular church."
2: Right. Yeah.
0: And yeah. and again, I'm I'm not saying that you don't want to know the people you live, but mm-hmm. knowing what they buy. What movies they watch, what cars they drive, is not knowing them in any way. Right. Not in yeah. terms of the sort of relationality that we're talking about is is radically Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, sorry about the, you know, explanation. No, that's explanation true. So, in that I way.
1: mean, because I think that I have similar thoughts when I think about, like, like how much people love to uh, appeal to the Moynihan Report, right? Love that right? But um, the Kerner Commission, right, had a different conclusion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you see they're both applying sociological methods, both doing sociological work, and then throughout history, we can, it's, people have no problems talking in groups or in sociological categories on the right or the left. It's just which, and I keep hearing this trope that one side is individualistic, and that's their problem, and the other side is just an talks entirely in groups and socialization, and what we need to do is do both. Well, no, both sides talk about individuals, both sides talk about groups. Right. It just depends on the topic. Right. If it's race, we're gonna do all individualism. If it's um, sexuality, oh, the culture has gone haywire, it's in the movies, it's in <laughs> the, the water, basically, right? If we're gonna talk about, um, about vast racial disparities, Oh well, we're going to talk about Moynihan, Thomas Sell, you know Walter Williams, who whoever on that side, so that we can explain there's just a deep pathology within the black community, and you know they, we can whiten them up enough and they can get out of that, but you know and then, but then you have on the other side people, you know, Julius Wilson, Lamont Small, and uh, Sandy Darity, people. They're, they're applying, when they apply it, then it's like, oh, that's Marxist conflict analysis or you know, whatever, there's just something evil at the root of it when you even apply that, because right. you know? this is about sin, you know? Right. It right. just depends on the topic from right. what I can see.
2: Yeah, I don't and
1: think, and, and yeah. that's what came up you know, when Keller's recent um, writing and I, I
2: mm-hmm.
1: love Keller. Keller mm-hmm. is a household yeah. staple. The books who watch the sermons you know there's no right no lack of love there right but but to always boil it down into that one side's individualism and one side right. is systems and right you know we need to find somewhere in the middle it's i
2: don't know and of I've course heard,
0: in, in that uh, analysis yeah it, yeah yeah and in that analysis i'm always going to shade the particular position where i find my strength and right. when I say that, what I mean is I find my strength in what I know, what I'm familiar with, the antidotes I can provide. And right. if I don't have anything to support that, then I feel like I'm, I'm handicapped. I can't even have the conversation rather than, look, I'm, I'm more familiar with this. Help me understand that. Right. Uh, you know, I'm. I, uh, but there's maybe- a certain
1: apologetical method that requires you to know everything. <laughs> right. Right. And then that is an apologetic that he tends to use Mm -hmm. even in regular sermons is Mm -hmm. there's this option, this option, this option, this option. Mm -hmm. I've told you what they all are. So I know all the options and none of them work. So here's the gospel. Mm
2: -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm.
1: If that's that, if that's the apologetic style, then you really can't ever like show your hand. You always have to be a little bit smarter than the person you're talking to. Right. Or at least think you are right. You know, to make that work.
2: No, And, that's, then, that's and then, attack
1: against it, then an attack against it, say, no, 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 wait a minute, that one right there, you described that all wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now my argument's in conflict with the gospel, right. because that's the aim of the apologetical move. Right,
0: right. But it isn't. No, no, exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. That was the frame that was set by the apologist, you know, who was trying to pull the checkmate.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 No, yeah. No, that's good. That's good.
1: So I think yeah. that's that's connected.
0: Oh, we I think it is. About
1: critical race theory, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you know, the the truth is, you know, while we've talked around it and we've talked mm-hmm. talked about sort of the byproducts of what happened in in even the Twitter discourse that goes on, right? It it is something that we have to be aware of because if if we if critical race theory doesn't happen to interest a group, there will be something that does interest a group that right. will create the same sort of polarities, the same sort of divides where will people won't read the, the sources. They, they will take the caricatures. They'll right. not be able to identify who's taken something and interpreting it for a particular use, Right, which is fine, just to admit that that's what's going on. And, and and this is, I see, as a repeatable habit and practice that certainly yeah. pastors can't be experts in every field, a la Keller. They can't right. possibly be. But what we can do is insist, like you've been trying to insist along the way, is let's know what we're talking about. Yeah. Let's at least know what we're talking about. But listen, the, the ego yeah, of we pastors is pretty strong.
1: And. Well, If we're going to get animated, especially if we're going to get animated about, yeah, yeah, you can just say I don't know, or yeah. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. No, exactly. But the 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 uh, the the requirement that, um, I think it's a self-imposed thing that we think we have to be the experts, and and so we, seeing as we don't have time, we try to, you know, grab what what our particular social in group has decided right and that's the other thing we're witnessing you know we're actually witnessing that that there is, there are social in groups that um I'm trying to remember the author who talked about social knowledge has become more powerful and the, and the way it's become more powerful is if I decide there's a social in-group in which I want to be a part, then I need to know the body of knowledge that makes me fit into that category, which, right. which has resulted in people just capitulating on issues or convictions mm-hmm. simply because what's more powerful sense. is being part of that social in-group.
1: Oh, I feel that.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and so I actually think that that's that's part of what makes these groups seem bigger than they really are, Mm -hmm. because you might have one or two, quote, leaders, and because that's the group you want to be involved with, then you've got to adopt, okay, here it is, and only if you have personal convictions that say, I don't think that's what that's, I I I don't think that's it. You know, right. it's the Inigo Montoya. You keep using that word, but I don't think you yeah. know what that word means. Right. And and so I, I, I that's what I think makes this matrix so complex. Mm-hmm. That uh, what I've appreciated is your persistence to say, let's know what we're talking about, albeit not well received, is still at least to say this is kind of the place that we can uh, reduce um strip away the antagonisms right and if you're going to address the ideologies that become empty, you've got to learn the the questions or make the point that takes the that that addresses the antagonism take that, that strips it away mm-hmm. And while okay. you don't get a lot of answers frankly when it's okay what do you mean by that that is a question that, addresses how the ideology is working. Right. Yeah. So it's a skill yeah. that pastors ought to probably develop.
1: Yeah. No, it's definitely difficult. Yeah. It's not an easy skill, but I know. Yeah. Well
0: hey, I so here's the deal. Since we didn't talk as specifically about critical race theory, we might have to do this again. I'd be happy to. Okay. Well I'll send you an email. We'll get we'll get a schedule. I, I really do think that you know, this is the sort of thing that has developed into a web of conversations. That, if 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 we could maybe pick some of the places where there there are flashpoints, right, and try to try to get to that. What so what are we saying here? What's being said here? What's being missed here? We're probably more helpful than you know just stoking the fire more between disparate camps. So
1: I agree, and that's that's one of the reasons I was happy to do this, is because. You know, there's just, there is a limitation. I mean, you, you write things, um, they may not be read. Right. On Twitter, it's just kind of a, you know, a little left hook and a jab and then off to the, you know, <laughs>
0: right, nothing's right.
1: happening there. And even though this isn't the medium that generally I most easily engage in, it's just, if there's any chance that a discussion <laughs> Sure, sure. actually carry sure, through sure. that it's definitely uh, worth it. Ab- yeah, absolutely. So that's how well, I'm all
0: right. well, all right. Let me turn this off. Um, then uh, I'll I'll shoot you something. and We'll try to get something scheduled here again. Okay, if that works. Hey, yeah. thanks for your time. Oh yeah, and, Thank uh, you. Thank thanks you. for your writing and your persistence. And um, there there are folks out here who I'm I'm in a Twitter group of pastors and former pastors. Not Twitter group, a uh, text group, mm-hmm. and we probably share more bradley mason tweets in that text group than any others all good all good good. okay did you see that you know so that's that's good that's good wow
2: all
0: right folks well i'll have a a link to how you can follow uh, bradley on twitter and uh to his website where you can read some of his writings and and um some other places where he's had a really good long series over at front porch so Uh, You'll have an opportunity to kind of catch up between now and the next time that uh, we get to have this conversation. So I want to say thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Hey, as always, I want to thank you for listening. And as noted, uh, we will uh, have some future discussions, Bradley and I, on actually the ideas behind or the ideas contained in what is called critical race theory. But until then, I hope you will take the opportunity to share the podcast, subscribe in your favorite uh, podcatcher. And if you have time, run over to Apple, uh, I, uh, the Apple iTunes store. I'll get that out in a minute. And leave us a review rating. Uh, four or five stars would be really helpful. It helps uh, kind of us continue to get found here at, at uh, Pathological. That is us, me and those guests I invite on to have a conversation. And... Uh, Hopefully, uh, these sorts of resources will be helpful to you as you work to discern uh, what's helpful in your work uh, pastoring and, and leading in a local church. So, again, this has been Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. And until next time, peace.